0: Hello, this is Anthony Day with some more thoughts on sustainable business strategies. Recently I had a conversation with Oliver Bettis. He's the pricing actuary for Great Lakes UK, part of the Munich Re-Insurance Group. He's also a member of the Institute of Actuaries Resource and Environment Group. We had a very wide-ranging conversation He started off by talking about a lack of consensus in the scientific community. Not that anybody is denying that climate change is real, but he's concerned that many scientists don't fully understand the implications and seriousness of climate change. We talked about total decarbonisation and the fact that people are in denial and probably won't do anything. They won't act until things really start to hurt. He thinks that energy is going to be the factor which brings things home to people first of all. We talked about clean coal and whether that's a viable possibility. We talked about how far the electorate will permit the government to take the action that's necessary. And also the fact that emissions are currently rising globally faster than the worst case scenario of the IPCC. Maybe we'll see a decline in economic activity as energy gets more expensive. And perhaps that will be enough to offset the increased use of coal. We looked at growth. Is continuous economic growth really possible? And if not, we're going to have to rethink our economy very thoroughly. So what are the implications for business? As far as Oliver's business, insurance is concerned there's already an impact. There's an impact from weather. And in the future we may also see an impact from legal claims. For example there's an organization in the United States which burns more coal than the whole of the United Kingdom and it accounts for about half a percent of global CO2 emissions on its own. If CO2 emissions can be shown to cause climate change somebody may sue. And if they sue that company, they may well sue all other companies making emissions. We'll see. Is carbon dioxide going to be the new asbestos? We're in a war situation, maybe a phony war situation. What's the future of aviation? Is the government really telling us the truth? Oliver closes by saying we have a crisis. The problem is that people don't understand that yet. See what you think.
1: I don't think that this is really properly understood by very many people. Even people, even environmentalists or people like George Monbeau, I don't think he properly understands it. People quote James Hansen and they quote his target, 350 parts per million. Yeah. But I don't think many people understand why he says that's the right target. and they don't, So they don't understand that he's not agreeing with so many other climate scientists. 350 parts per million we're beyond that already aren't we? Yes we are yes we are but he says that is the true the true safe level <laughs> is actually probably probably it's lower than that it's in the range of 300 to 350 parts per million it is possible to get down there again if you decarbonise quickly enough and if you manage the carbon sinks which will absorb the carbon dioxide from the air that'll the take cent- centuries won't
0: it? because of the persistence yeah. of CO2 in the atmosphere I mean it lasts for hundred years, or in fact, one of the papers that you you passed on, that I've been reading, suggested it lasts even longer than that. It,
1: it does. Uh, a proportion of it lasts for thousands of years, and, and um, a proportion of the man-made greenhouse gas near would would last up to a hundred thousand years. That's the long-term response yeah. of the, of yeah. the earth. Um, but in the short term, what would happen if we if we cut emissions to zero tomorrow? Then the atmospheric carbon dioxide concentration would go down, start going down because mm-hmm. the carbon sinks, the the oceans, um, <clears throat> mainly the oceans, are constantly absorbing carbon dioxide. Um, a very large proportion of what we put in the air, that it's actually being absorbed into the ocean. And that process will continue until the ocean is saturated. Um, mm-hmm. So but it is already changing the oceans, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's making the ocean uh, more acid. The problem, of course, is that there's absolutely no suggestion
0: whatsoever that we can cut emissions totally tomorrow, or next year, or in 10 years, or even by no. like 2050. Yeah. Right, there's a target of 80% cuts, which is a very demanding target, and it's a very long way away. Yeah. And yet, from what you're saying and from what I've read, some people are saying we should decarbonise
1: totally. Yes. by then and sooner if possible well there's there's one point about that that, that in terms of the long term target 2050 um, which was pointed out by Mike Mason at the LSE conference mm-hmm. on and he says that actually a global 80% cut in emissions by 2050 actually really does mean total decarbonisation of our economy because about 20% of emissions come from agriculture, and things like disused coal mines, where the where the output is not actually caused by fossil fuel burning, and you can't so, control it. No, and you can't control it. So, so the the percent cut for twenty fifty really means total decarbonisation. The question is whether you need to totally decarbonise uh, earlier than twenty fifty, and the answer is probably yes.
0: Well, yesterday we had these announcements from Ed Miliband. He hasn't really got anywhere towards it, has he? He's Arguably, he's looking at it from a, uh, from the wrong end. He's saying, mm-hmm. let's look at where we can get our energy from, rather than saying, what can we do to reduce energy? Again, yeah. in the papers that you um, passed, you, you were talking about 23 million households. And if there was a project to insulate all of those, we'd immediately start making inroads into emissions. And my baby is this scrappage allowance for cars. If they had a scrappage allowance for central heating boilers... It's a win-win in all sorts of directions because you save foreign exchange on yes. gas, you reduce carbon emissions, you reduce bills for the consumer, and you
1: create jobs in the UK. But there you go. What well, we need to be thinking about is short-term targets. and yeah. even um, uh, George Bombo wrote an article a few days ago where he was suggesting we needs something like a cut by the end of next year of 10% emissions in the developed world and um, but nobody's listening and that's not even going to come out of Copenhagen is it? No, no but I, I think that the the targets that are around at the moment are just not realistic and in a few years time they'll be seen to be unrealistic so when we talk about targets for 24 to 2050 um, or even 2020 then I think all that discussion is just going to change when people wake up to the real nature of climate change and what's at stake?
0: Yes, but the suggestion is that when people really start to feel the pinch and the consequences of climate change it'll be too late.
1: Yes, and that's possible. I don't think we should assume that's the case. I think a lot of people do assume that and I think that's a mistake because um, because as soon as you do that then you, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because then you, it's neat, and it's also in a very easy way out. I think um, Tom Simon-Dixon mentioned this, is that in fact the um, the attitude that says it's too late to do anything um, is actually a form of denial in itself, and it's almost a trick that our brains play on, because what it means is that you, you don't have to do anything, then, it's very easy. You can just sit back and do nothing.
0: Well, I'm not saying it's too late now, but by the time people get... Affected by it, it could be too late. Because there's a tipping point theory, isn't there? And in fact, there there could be several different tipping points, and we won't know about them until we've gone past them. By that time, it would be too late. Yeah,
1: agreed. I think one one point is that if it transpired that we did cross a tipping point, or maybe we crossed a tipping point already, then people and governments wouldn't say, oh, it's too late. We have to accept the consequences. What would happen is they they would try geoengineering, they would try anything to avoid the effects when they when the true consequences were became became clear. And so, I think that's the realistic view. And if that is really what is likely to happen, then why not plan for it now rather than say that. Uh, Either it's too late to do anything, so there's no point, or um, just hope that it's not too late.
0: But politicians don't do bad news, do they? No. I think the first effects that we're going to see in this country is probably going to be serious floods. And if the government says, right, we're going to have to put gas prices up because of serious floods, people are going to scream and shout and say, we totally disbelieve, they'll say there are floods, we want to build barriers what do you mean you've got to put gas prices up uh, I oh, think yes. it's going to be very very difficult to get people to yes. understand that
1: there is a connection yeah I think that I've uh, got some sympathy with the politicians um, I think they could be doing a lot more but then again it, it, is, it is difficult for them when they trade in popularity yeah. and um, hoping that they, that the penny is dropped in someone like David Cameron he's been relatively quiet about his economic plans and it may be because he's figured out that, although, you know, we've heard the government plans at the moment that, that moving to renewable energy is going to cost a lot of money. It's actually going to cost a lot more than they're admitting at the moment. So if Cameron has figured out that the reality is that people, standard of living um, is bound to fall... He, he can't say that before he's elected No, he no. might say it after he's elected but, but not before yeah. um, and maybe politicians need help from people who aren't constrained um, to, say, to tell people what they want to hear if people who, who understand the, the real nature of what's going on um, in terms of climate change and energy problems if they keep saying this over and over again it must help the politicians change their their message, I think. But I, I agree it's a real problem that people, most people probably won't understand um, <coughs> the real threat from climate change before it affects them personally in some way, and that might be too late. But I think that the energy problem, the energy crisis, will catch up with people um, quicker, certainly people in this country. And... If you th- think that um, the oil supply in the UK will start to decline um, in no later than 2013, which well, is the North Sea is declining already, isn't it? Yes. Yes. Yeah. But I'm talking about the total UK oil supply, including imports. Um, so right. And you think that'll decline as part of a global decline? Yes. Yes. I mean, there's a report by the. Peak Oil Task Force, um, which came out at the end of last year. Is this the parliamentary group? Yeah. Yes. The parliamentary or party, parliamentary group of oil yeah. and gas, and um, they uh, they assessed the situation and then came up with an estimate of peak oil of between 2011 and 2013, um, which will, might be slightly affected by the recession, but not not a great deal. Yeah. Um, because we because even if oil, oil consumption goes down by five or ten percent, we're still burning through, you know, ninety-five percent of the consumption we were before. And and this is this is an argument for the system science approach, which looks at the, all the aspects at once, ties them together. Yes. And I think that what often seems to happen in research on climate change is that. Projections are made about the economy and about emissions, which don't really look into problems in, um, in energy supply. Mm-hmm. Um, they just look at past trends and then project them forward. Yeah. But that's an unsafe thing to do in this in this world. When you when you are close to the peak, you know arguably it could be a few years either way. But if you're looking twenty or thirty years ahead, you have to factor in declining energy supply.
0: Well, one of the key things, surely, is that. The energy return on investment, as far as oil is concerned, is declining, and it is making it less attractive uh, by comparison with coal. Yes. So therefore, we could even be reopening our coal mines, and, of course, we're looking at a dirty fuel. Yes. And people jump up and down and say, ah, we're going to have clean coal, but in fact, while there are one or two uh, demonstration Mm. test beds, there are no commercial carbon capture power stations. And even if there were the load it puts onto the power station increases the the cost of the electricity by at least 20%. Mm. What I wonder is whether the, even if the politicians say we must do these things for our very survival, whether mm. the electorate will just
1: let them? Well, there's a point about um, using more coal, which Thomas Homer Dixon made in, in his presentation yeah. um, in the House of, House of Commons recently, which is that in fact, um, that's already happened because if you look at the emission trends since 2000, they've actually the emissions have been increasing faster than the worst case scenario in the previous IPCC report for the world or just for the, world. World. For the world, the world. Yeah, I mean a lot of it's driven by by China, but it's it's basically um, um, he says it's been driven by a shift um, to coal use, which is. Driven by the, the decline in EROI on um, on oil, yeah. and he says that the EROI on coal is still very high. Mm. Um, so in that, in that sense, the worst is all is already happening. One scenario is that when the total net energy input to the world economy starts shrinking, then the world economy starts shrinking, and then you could see some quite drastic emission cuts for that reason, even, even though you're shifting into more carbon-intensive fuels. I don't know the answer to that, which, which effect is going to win, whether you, you switch, to more, uh, switch to coal is going to outrun the, the, uh, the effects of the economy.
0: So you're saying a decline in economic activity will mean that energy consumption will fall? yes and therefore Pretty even if using dirtier fuels
1: we will the net effect will be less pollution it might or be, it might be it might be less polluting yeah mm. and if you're looking certainly if you're looking at uh, you know several decades in the future you have to you have to look at that i think there's a bit of a blind spot at the moment in terms of the economy the global economy and in terms of think always thinking that well, we're going to have growth for the next 30 or 40 years, mid yeah. century. Yeah. Well, I, think, I don't think that's a safe assumption to make. Um,
0: well, that's a fundamental assumption which will get all the banks off of our hands, mm-hmm. isn't it? But the worrying thing is, if, if they manage to increase the, the share value of those banks, whatever's behind it may be no more substantial than was there before.
1: If, if you have a, uh, an economy that's, that's not growing, then the whole basis for the debt-based money system then um, doesn't really work and you have to rethink your money supply Mm -hmm. and um, really the the way the the economy functions as a whole. I think there needs to be a debate about that which is not really happening.
0: Yes. Uh, The other thing is you were talking about standard of living earlier on Mm -hmm. and of course standard of living is traditionally... Measured in value, in money value, yes. and in terms of consumption, yeah. but an awful lot of standard living surely can be derived from arts and social interaction yes. and things which well, are I, tangible.
1: Yeah, I, I use the term standard living deliberately because uh, I was referring to the, the traditional way of defining it, which is based on consumption yeah. and money. But um, there, I think there is a very strong argument to say that. What is really important is quality of life, and and that beyond a certain level, when you have your your basic needs met, there's actually not not um, a very strong relationship between rising standard of living and and happiness. And there are a lot of studies being done about that. Um, there's an interesting book I read called The Spirit Level, which yeah. looks at um, lots of research, which shows that that. Um,
0: well, I saw a graph some time ago which charted satisfaction from the 60s against increased standard of living. And the standard of living obviously went up from the
1: 60s till today yeah. and the actual satisfaction flatlined all the way across. Yeah. So, in in a way, that's that's a way out of a predicament. Um, and it, And again, it's an argument for looking at the, all of the aspects together
0: yeah, but it's a so, way out if you can persuade people it's the way out, at the yeah. moment people want to consume, yeah. I have just a lunch in the Dorchester, I mean talk about conspicuous consumption, you look at all the cars outside, you look at everything inside that is success that's how, that's how we measure success in society isn't it, yes. it is things Yes. things and it is expensive things uh, that's what aspirations about now how do we change all that
1: I think it is changing. I think it is changing already. There's a lot of um, articles and uh, feeling that some people are becoming dissatisfied with the way things are and the, the rat race, the uh, running faster and faster yeah. just to stand still. Yeah. I think it needs to change faster and how to do that I'm not sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, Well, that's a $64,000 question, yeah. isn't it? What are the implications of all this for business? I mean, for your business or for business at large, it's a pretty gloomy picture. It's more gloomy than, I think, when I started looking at this. Yes. Uh, so what do we say to business people? Because most of them will shrug their shoulders and say, well, if it's as bad as you say, I might as well stay in bed, or why don't I go and spend all my money and fly across the world and have a really good time because there's nothing I can do about
1: it. Well, in a sense, I've got an easy job in my business, which yeah. is the insurance business, mm-hmm. because it's kind of in the front line of climate change. It's affected by climate change directly. It's already affected um, the increased uh, size of weather losses, and mo- but most of all, the unpredictability of, of the weather patterns. It means it's harder to price insurance risk, and... Um, So it's already a huge, climate change is a huge issue for the insurance business and um, it's something that, so if I want to talk about it in my industry, I've got a very ready and sort of willing audience. Well I suppose the risk argument
0: is important for them because while they may be able to insure and claim compensation if things go wrong, I don't think anybody would claim that um, an insurance event, even though it's fully compensated, has no effect at all on the business. No. So if you can avoid the risk in the first place, then you are going to be better off, aren't you? So it's weather-related events which you're seeing as the first signs of climate change, is it? The first negative signs of climate change. That's right. Um, but I suppose that extends into things like crop failures and so on, does it?
1: Absolutely. And, um, and also there are liability issues. Um, yeah, I saw an article recently about the um, directors and officers' liability with potential for claims against executives whose companies don't meet emission targets. That's an issue. Uh Um, Also claims for liability for companies that pollute and then cause damage by their their emissions.
0: I mean, there are... So so who have been actually... All right, you've got the regulatory framework whereby there are limits on on emissions and there's the cap-and-trade
1: systems and all that sort of thing. But are you saying that people can be prosecuted for excessive emissions as well? Possibly sued... Um, you know, if there is any possible way of suing over this then I'm sure there'll be American lawyers that will find it and they will be looking right now at ways to sue over this.
0: Right. Well, the implication is that one organisation could actually have an effect on the, on the climate but I suppose there are some big organisations.
1: Well, I mean, for example, I looked at one company recently called American Electric Power, the biggest power generating company in America. Yeah. They, use, they use more coal in a year than the entire UK consumption. And I calculated that they... I think they produce about half a percent of the entire world's dioxide emissions from fossil fuel burning The one company. Nice. So... I mean if you were if you were apportioning liability over that, then I think it would be a similar argument to asbestos. When um, it, when someone claims when they when they have asbestosis, sometimes they might have worked forty years mm-hmm. in the asbestos industry and they work for various employers and it's very difficult to know uh, which one actually caused the disease. So they claim they claim against all of them and then they Then the court will then apportion liability proportionately according to how long the claimant worked for each company. Or you could imagine a similar process with with emissions if you added up total emissions of any particular company against the the world emissions, and then apportion liability proportionately. But I'm not saying that's, that's going to happen or it's, or it's likely, pro- it probably is very unlikely because the government won't step in take mm. over it yeah. would be, be a complete mess mm. but you know, if, there, if there are ways to pin liability on someone particularly if they were doing something that you know, breached regulations um, in some way you know, if there's any possible way that they could be sued then, then they will be sued okay.
0: Okay. so that's one risk area on the other hand, if we go for decarbonisation, if we go for 100% decarbonisation, first of all, do you see a likelihood that government will put pressures on to try and achieve that?
1: Well, they will. I mean, it, I think that the right way to look at it is really as a kind of war situation. Um, this, this is a war. We're in a kind of phony war situation now. When, when, the, um, when people wake up to really what's at stake, then they'll agree to anything. Um, now, the question is what are the government able to do to move the population in a direction towards the, the time when they would be willing to actually fight and accept um, the measures that need to be put in place to save the climate? Yeah.
0: But surely decarbonisation means the end of some industries. I can't myself see how you could have a
1: decarbonised aviation industry. Can you? No, I can't. That's a difficult one. (laughs) Um, George Monberry talks about that in his his book, Heat. He looks in detail at some key industries, and he looks at ways that you could very rapidly decarbonise them. Yes. And and it is possible, in in almost every case apart from aviation, that's the one area which... um, it's really impossible to find substitutes. I suppose the the thing that people talk about at the moment is biofuels, mm-hmm. but when you add up the numbers, it's really not this. You need too much energy to to power a jet plane to really make it practical. Yes, they they have actually flown planes with biofuels, haven't
0: they? But only uh, I think that, I think the range on biofuel is much limited. And also, as far as I remember, it was a two-engine plane, and one of them had conventional fuel. So you could yeah. survive on the conventional yeah. fuel. And I think there have been experiments with hydrogen, but
1: that's also very, very iffy, isn't it? it you isn't. all remember
0: what happened to the R101.
1: Yeah. Hydrogen yeah, and and um, also hydrogen is a, is a carrier of energy, but it, it um, you need the energy to put into the hydrogen, whether it's yeah. solar or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And there's such a huge need for energy anyway, Um, particularly as as the amount of fossil fuels declines, that aviation is probably going to be seen as being a luxury. Um, Yes, but then again, if you talk to
0: probably 90% of the people in in this city of London, they will say aviation is absolutely essential for their business. And there's an awful lot of very powerful decision makers here.
1: I'm thinking of um, after the peak and decline of oil production globally. Mm. My feeling it is, and it's, it's just a feeling, is that maybe two or three years after that peak, then attitudes will change generally. Right, well, so after a peak, uh, peak
0: production, at that point you expect prices to go up dramatically? Because that's what will actually affect people, won't it? At the yes. moment... They've been up, they've come down, they went up again, they've come down again. It's all over the place at the moment. Mm. Uh, it, it's, um, people can cope with it. It's about a pound a, a litre if you're buying petrol, isn't it? Yeah. And that's not, not too much of a problem. Yeah. But if it doubles or
1: trebles or
0: quadruples.
1: And just the, the fact that um, the physical supply of energy is decreasing, mm. and given that oil produce provides almost all of our transport fuel um, the amount of transport will go down in yeah. the line, yes. there's no way we'll be able to scale up electric vehicles quickly enough to make no. up a difference no.
0: electric railways to some extent perhaps that's probably yeah. got to be the, yeah. the way forward but then again that uh, also requires electricity from somewhere doesn't it? <clears throat> yes. I, I personally think possibly the best hope is Desertec you heard about that? The yes, the harvesting of solar
1: energy from the Sahara. Mini Cree are pushing it very strongly. Who is Mini Cree? Mean, oh, really?
0: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. But that's an enormous project, isn't it? And it won't happen overnight.
1: No. And somebody's got to put billions for it to actually happen. Yeah, and mm. this is the kind of change in attitude that's needed. Is the public acceptance of the investment needed? The yeah. shift from yeah. Consumption to investment, Dieter Helm is, is very good on that. Yeah. Aspect. that's really instead of self-interest, people have to understand that, that it's in their self-interest, and it's not even the next generation we're talking about. We're talking about us. I think that's maybe that's a key key element. Yeah.
0: yeah. People for too long have been talking about their grandchildren. Yeah. They? And you're right, <laughs> it's it's <laughs> us. And it's we know just as who, much as you, and yeah. I'm a lot older than you. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. We, you know, the, the key <clears> is <throat> how are we going to keep things together? Mm-hmm. Over the next two or three mm-hmm. decades, yes. and, and actually stop, you know, things falling
0: apart. So. Yeah, but you know, I do I do workshops for business people, and I did one a couple of months ago, and it went very well. I talked about scenario planning, and I pl- I played the scenarios from Shell and all that sort of thing, and I said, "Look, these are the pressures, and so on and so on." My guy came up to me afterwards and said, "Yeah, it's very interesting, but I don't really believe in this climate change thing, of course."
1: And there are so
0: many people yeah. like
1: that. What do we do? Probably if, if he says, I don't believe in it now, um, most people believe in it, they just don't understand how, how bad it is. Mm. And, you know, I've got some sympathy with that because when the government aren't really telling people how bad it is, why should people really understand? But if someone says they don't believe in it, I think it's very difficult to convince someone like that. Um, and I probably almost wouldn't even try. I would just probably rely on, for those minority of people who are like that, Oh, I hope they're a minority but you know, there's an awful lot I meet I'm afraid I mean I go to things
0: like you do like the uh, environmental research group and I go to the low carbon best practice conferences and there's all sorts of green events and it's full of people who are saying great we're going to do something but when I get out to what I call the real world and I talk to people I'm just a speaker who's come along to talk about today about uh, environmental issues they're switched off they're, they're, now I've got business to run, don't, don't bother me
1: the thing that's going to get them is, is the oil issue, the uh, yes. oil supply. For larger
0: organisations, I think the carbon reduction commitment is going to put a certain amount of pressure on them. But oh, it's hard enough, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, have you got a positive message that you'd like to end on?
1: Sometimes aware of the danger of sounding um, too far out. <laughs> yeah. In, in what, and the books that I've been reading recently kind of lay things out as... That the period of time we're going through now is a kind of a test and um, it's the question is whether humanity will actually re- go move past adolescence into maturity and um, and that process could be incredibly positive that um, people understand their place in the universe and understand the relative importance of, of things and that we we come out of this um, series of crises um, with a different society, a healthier society. Um, I can quote um, Anthony Giddens, who is a very establishment figure, is that he was one of the architects of um, you know, the Third Way. Mm-hmm. And I heard him say, um, recently that he needs um, new forms of consciousness in this time um, which I think he just means a new way of understanding the world the positive message is that if we get through this crisis then we will have a completely different way of looking at the world and a, and a, a way that's more natural and um, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm kind of still working through that in my own mind. More sustainable. Yeah, yeah. clearly. Obviously, yeah. by definition, yeah. if we get through yeah. this crisis, we will have a sustainable society. But it's going to take a crisis to make us recognise that we need it. And we we have a crisis. The, the, the problem is that people don't understand that yet.